This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, hello. How are you doing? I hope all is well. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, depending on when you're listening to this episode, I may very well be peddling my little socks off, cycling from Bath to Westminster for Donations Ride the Change bike ride for COP27. So I'm cycling, I think we're doing Bath to Newbury on Friday and then Newbury to London on Saturday. It still absolutely blows my mind that it is possible to even contemplate cycling from Bath to Newbury in a day, but let's see how we get on. (laughs) Avid listeners might remember me chatting to Do Nation co-founder Hermione in episode 153. Yes, I did have to go and look up what number that was. All about the brilliant stuff that they do at Do Nation and about Ride the Change. The whole ride is from Swansea to London, but due to my complete inability to keep on top of my diary, I'm only able to do the last two days, but still feeling very intimidated at the thought of cycling 65-ish miles two days in a row in the UK in November. Wish me luck. And if you want to do more than wish me luck, you can sponsor me, but I don't want your money. I want your carbon saving pledges. So head over to the Do Nation website. I will put a link in the show notes to pledge your carbon saving actions and support me and my tired little legs and my sore bum. (laughs) Amazingly, I've had over 400 pledges already. So a massive thank you if you've already pledged. You are absolutely brilliant. And if you haven't, then please do. And let's see if we can get to 500 pledges. Okay, so today's episode. Wouldn't it be great if everything we bought from bananas to pair of jeans to a car had a little label on it telling us what its carbon footprint is? Then we'd be able to make informed choices about the things we were buying and the impact that they had. So today I'm really excited to be chatting to Charlie Cotton from eCollective about exactly that. So what is a carbon footprint? How has it worked out? How feasible is it that my grand carbon footprint labelling dreams would be a reality? And if there are some companies that are already doing it? I thought this was an absolutely fascinating chat, but I would love to hear your thoughts on this one. Is this something that you would find useful to help you make decisions? And how viable do you think it actually is? Do let me know. You can drop me an email on jen at sustainableish.co.uk or you can come and find me uh, on social media where I'm at sustainableish. And if you do want to 
pledge some carbon for my COP27 bike ride, then all the links are on my social media as well. Enjoy. Hello, Charlie. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jen. Pleasure to be here. Fab to have you here. Can you introduce yourself to us all? Sure. Uh, so my name is Charlie. I am the founder of eCollective uh, and we are a small team, but we measure the carbon footprint of companies. Uh, so a typical company or project for us would be a company that's full of intent, but perhaps hasn't done much action to date when it comes to their carbon footprint. And over the course of weeks or months, depending on the company, we'd find out their total carbon footprint over the last 12 months and aim to make it smaller and smaller year on year. My background before that was working in the travel industry. Uh, so most of our clients tend to be travel companies because that's kind of my world and I understand mm. their jargon and how they operate, uh, which is surprisingly complicated. And I think the reason why I got into this world was purely because of being an element of the kind of my now customer, which was uh, I was in charge of designing trips and adventures for people. And I thought the trips were really sustainable because everyone I worked with, uh, when I'm picking these hotels or this whitewater rafting or this thing on day four of this adventure, everyone they said was like, oh, we're sustainable. Uh, mm. So I thought, oh, great, perfect. Uh, but actually, a little bit of digging found out that perhaps that wasn't quite the truth, uh, maybe slightly simplifying things. Uh, and then also just a bit of my own naivety in terms of what does that word actually mean? Yeah. Uh, and so then I wanted to kind of start a bit more of a numbers-based approach to sustainability uh, because there's a whole host of solutions out there. Few are perfect, but they're better than what we're doing today. And I wanted to make it much easier for companies to go, I've got option A and option B in front of me, um, which is the better option in terms of the things that they already know about. So they obviously know which things have got a better price because everyone knows the price yes. of stuff. They already know if customers are going to like it because they've got a gut feel on that. Mm. Uh, and I'm just helping customers now decide based on the carbon footprint of option A and option B. So they can redesign whatever they do and sell so it has a, a smaller footprint. And I think there's, that's what I really get excited about. How can people like get geeky and redesign things so that it comes with a smaller and smaller footprint? It is quite quite super geeky really isn't it let's go really back to basics then carbon footprint like we've all heard of it but are we really sure what it means uh well i hope there's more and more understanding of it there's definitely lots of misconceptions around it and you'll see things about how uh like is it your footprint or my footprint or this company's footprint or was it the government in terms of mm. the uk's footprint and then whether it's my responsibility to act on my footprint or is it the company's because I bought this Mars bar, is mm. it Mars's footprint to take action on it? In simple terms, your carbon footprint is the carbon added to the atmosphere uh, based on your actions and the things that you do, uh, which some things are really easy to look at. So you drive your own car from A to B that has a carbon footprint of this. But also having a carbon footprint is things like your pension. Like how on earth does that have a footprint? And it gets quite complicated very, very quickly. Um, and there's kind of an almost endless list of things that have a carbon footprint, which you may have bought or may have some sort of influence over. So like the room I'm in now, every item in here annoyingly mm. has its own carbon <laughs> footprint. And so it's just 
awfully overwhelming to start with like oh my god like what's good what's bad is, this, yeah. is there such a thing as a good carbon footprint um so yeah a nightmarish term but the idea of how i use it is to say just firstly everyone has got one everything to some extent has got one mm. um i'm trying to think of something that doesn't and i can't um yeah super <laughs> hard um a bumblebee i don't know um but the idea is just to say kind of having a bit more kind of ownership of one. So like, yeah, there's nothing to be ashamed of, of having a footprint because everyone has one. Almost mm. every object you buy has one and there's nothing embarrassing about it or awful about it. It's just a way of life in this century at the moment. Um, so I think people don't need to feel fear or embarrassed or uncomfortable about it. Um, but I do think there needs to be much more understanding of how your actions whether that's what you buy or what you do um, impacts your own footprint because ultimately we've all got to start reducing it. Yeah. And it's not just, we talk about carbon footprint and I do carbon literacy training. And we talk about carbon in there, but actually we're using that as a shorthand really for like mm. all the greenhouse gas emissions, but it just gets quite a bit of a mouthful, doesn't it? If you start to say, <laughs> you start to name them all. So this is a way that, um, scientists have worked out of, of looking at all the different greenhouse gas emissions and they all have a different potency and they do the maths and they come up with one number so we can compare stuff yep. and we did an episode on individual footprints a little while ago now with joe hand at um his co-founder at geeky so if people are thinking oh gosh how do i work out my own individual carbon footprint there's loads of great platforms out there so geeky is one world wildlife fund have one um and as you say it's I always say to people like I don't really care what yours is to start with there's no shame there's no judgment you know we can't change what we don't know what we actually what I care about is seeing it coming down but there's some pushback isn't there around um individual carbon footprints some people say that it was just sort of a big conspiracy or something sort of dreamt up by the oil companies to push the focus back onto us and make us feel guilty rather than focus on the the bad stuff that they're doing have you have you heard that one before yeah i have heard that i'm not really sure what to make of it i wouldn't be surprised me if it, it's completely true uh my only concern with it is the kind of maybe when people are thinking that way is the kind of action it results it's like mm. we are in this situation there is a climate crisis uh and the actions that you as a personal being has does have a carbon footprint, whether you like the concept or not, or think mm. it's been shoved down your throat, it's the numbers still add up. And you can put pressure on companies and there absolutely should be. Uh, and that's kind of a, maybe a little bit of what we might go into in this call. But this idea of like, as a consumer, you have so much power mm. to put back onto the companies of saying, actually, no, this is your footprint just as much as it is mine when I buy this Mars bar from Mars, whatever. And I think, yeah, I just worry. I think there's a, just an element of every project we do, uh, people always want to know the best and the worst. Like, oh, I'm not that bad because there's always someone else yes. worse in the room and vice versa. There's always actually someone a little bit better. And I think that's really true on a company basis, but also on a, a personal basis. There's always maybe um i have no idea how big or small that person's footprint would be but let's we take uh jeff bezos for example he's got a massive super yacht i would have probably thought his footprint might be substantially bigger than myself but 
the problem I have is that people kind of use that as a say to say, well, uh, well, there's no point me doing anything because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I completely get it. I just don't necessarily agree with it because I think um, the only person who can take action on your footprint is is really you to some extent yeah. and you still have one so don't don't worry too much about everyone else's because if everyone can focus on themselves that's fantastic whether they do or do do or don't is an absolutely different matter yeah yeah no i love that and I, you know it's something i think we hear a lot when we're trying to make sort of sustainable changes or maybe we're talking to other people about it they, that feeling of well, what's the point because so and so down mm. the road is doing x y and z but like that i say exactly the same as you like the only person i can control is me we just had a discussion about me trying to drag my kids out on a walk before we hit record. You know, I can't even control what my kids are doing most of the time. <laughs> um, you know, so so actually focusing on what I can control is really, really important. But sometimes that's really hard. Like you were saying, um, you talk to organizations about, you know, they they can say, oh, well, we know how much this product costs versus this one. So we can make a decision based on that. And I guess the same as consumers, we know that that pint of milk or that banana costs this much and but we don't have any information about the it's very difficult to make an informed decision about the impact or the the carbon footprint of things because they're not labeled and so that's one of the things i really wanted to talk to you about because i know that's something that you've been doing for some of the organizations that you work with is that right yeah so i'm a big fan of carbon labeling the idea behind it is uh, everything you buy has a carbon footprint and just putting that number in terms of what is the carbon footprint of item X oh. right in front of you or maybe on your receipt as you buy it or the invoice that they send to you after mm. you purchase it. Even better if they can show you that uh, carbon footprint before you buy it so you can weigh up yes. option A or option B uh, when you're at the point of checkout. And the hope behind it is just to make people buy better. At the moment, there's definitely a wave of things going towards that, uh, but you'll probably see it more often in the things of like a little green leaf on one item, but maybe not on the other, which is a step towards it. But I, I really hope it's not the end result in terms of year on year, mm. that green leaf will hope to kind of get a bit smarter and a bit more precise and accurate on the information it's trying to tell that customer. Because there's been talk, hasn't there, about in the same way that we have the sort of traffic light scheme for um, foods, whether they're mm. high in fat, high in salt, whatever, that that is there an option for a traffic light scheme in terms of high, medium and low impact for carbon footprint of things? And Because I guess one of the things is that like this is hugely complicated. And if we just tell something, oh, that's got a footprint of, I don't know, four kilos of carbon, that means absolutely nothing to any of us, does it? Unless we've got, like you said, we've got something we're trying to compare like for like and we've got something to compare it with. So. I guess part of the issue is making it something that's accessible and understandable for everyone, not just geeks like us who quite enjoy this sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I don't have a great answer for that at the moment. I just think it needs to be much more normalised. Mm. Um, and uh, firstly, understanding that everything has a footprint and then two items that look very similar can have very very different scores mm. depending on how they're made or where they come from yeah what they, what they are in itself um but i think your example there of the kind of food labeling traffic -like system exactly is what i would want to see more of in the world what is the carbon footprint of x uh, just to help consumers make better decisions mm. 
but it's not just consumers it's also businesses they businesses buy so much from their suppliers year on year i want to make it easier for them to buy better ingredients that go into the very thing that they sell um and i also think that i would hope i don't know if this is true or not in in the food world but the very company who makes that item that now has to label their food with a carbon score we see with the companies that we work with that there's a kind of an element of kind of ownership of that product and a pride in the thing that they make and they sell and actually it's the people who are making that thing are thinking how can i get that number to be a little bit lower so that it comes with a smaller and smaller footprint and because that number is now a bit more out there and it's published um hopefully it's encouraging people to buy a little bit better when it comes to kind of choosing between option a and option b but actually, it's also driving innovation within that company because they want to be competitive in terms of making sure their footprint comes down. So when it, they are better than option B, but also just a general pride in their work as well. We see so much of it and people are like, yeah, I can, I can redesign this. I can tweak mm. it to be, to be better for the planet. And instead of it being a race to the bottom for price, it's a race to the bottom for footprint. I mean, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we see... Um, there's elements of it already in so many different places. Like at the moment now with the kind of energy crisis, people are starting to see that having a high carbon footprint also is actually quite expensive. Mm. Uh, so if you like use your house as an example, if you're using lots of electricity and lots of gas to heat your home, it might be costing you a lot of money. It also means you've got a high carbon footprint. So how can we make your home slightly more efficient so that it keeps you warm and cozy and you can still watch TV or whatever you do with electricity to bring joy in your life mm. uh, but without that same amount of, I need to use this much energy to do so, or I need to spend this much in order to have that warm, cozy feeling. Yeah. Um, and I think there are smart ways to kind of tick both boxes really in terms of reducing your costs, but also reducing your impact on the planet. Not yeah. for everything, but there are lots of examples for us to get working with now in the immediate future. So the, the, some of the examples that, or a couple of the examples that I've seen that spring to mind are, um, I think it's Oatly who carbon footprint their oat milk, don't they? They have that that figure on there. Um, but as as we say, it's difficult if you've just got like one product doing it because then yeah. you can't compare it to the cow's milk or the almond milk or whatever. Um, at COP26 last year in Glasgow, I understand they had carbon footprinting on the um, the menus there. Um, and I think Oaxaca, the... Um, Mexican restaurant chain also do and I just think it's it just helps those who are interested or those who might want to to make an informed decision but also I think maybe it helps to spark a little conversation that you're sat down to dinner and you're thinking oh what am I going to have and you're like oh I was gonna you know you might say to whoever you're out with oh I was gonna have the burger but actually oh that's made me think twice about it now and I'm gonna go for that what do you guys think and I just think it's also you know it's not that anybody's trying to tell you what you've got to do you're just giving people the information and allowing them to make more informed decisions which I think is really powerful because people hate being told what to do especially when it comes to food don't they yeah yeah absolutely uh, and that, I think that's what it is is a power to the people to some extent just here's the information hopefully in as simple as format as possible you want the number to be as low as possible mm. but here it is um, and it'd be really interesting using your example there Oaxaca but obviously now the government have stepped in and said restaurants now have to give calories, I think, on mm. all their menus. It'll be so interesting to see in a year's time how much that has influenced yeah. the customer to kind of change their habits on and pick lower things. 
um, especially with things like a burger, which tends to have quite a high footprint because beef has quite a high footprint. Yeah. Um, I imagine it also has quite high calories um, as opposed to, I don't know what else, uh, if you're going for burger, but you're happy to kind of have your mind change. What, what, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a hard sell. Um, I don't know what else, what, what would be the alternative? Um, well, veggie burger is going to have a lower footprint oh, and probably perfect. lower in saturated fat and stuff, isn't it? So Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so like, how can we find things that have a lower footprint but are healthier? Might be a cheaper option as well. Yeah, it will be really interesting, like you say, to see if that has influenced people's um you know buying choices um in restaurants and things like that and um I tend to look at it and then just feel guilty and order one <laughs> order anyway which might be the risk with the footprinting thing but at least hopefully it's it started a conversation yeah and I think well one thing we try and help with that is like obviously uh, on a business level which is where most of my clients come from we find out their footprint and then we suggest a target so when it comes to feeling guilty, uh, firstly, you've all got a footprint, so there's nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, but the best thing is if you feel guilt, is to turn that guilt into action. What yeah. can you do with it? Guilt is the most pointless feeling, really. It doesn't help anyone. But can we use that energy and turn it into action? And actually, good carbon progress isn't too scary a number. Uh, so we kind of encourage companies, obviously it depends on each one, but typically we ask them to improve their footprint by about 7%. Okay. So all we're kind of asking, I probably ask people the same thing, is can you reduce your footprint by, by 7%? So I'm not saying you have to do this kind of cold, hard switch of your diet, for some example. Yes. You don't have to just take your car and take all the wheels off it and never use it again. <laughs> it's not extreme actions. It's just can we find 7% change in your carbon footprint in a way that benefits you so using your example you don't have to say uh i'm going to go straight vegan but mm. for example if you have that burger once a, once a week can we switch it to a veggie burger uh and for or some can people, you have it once every other week or yeah, yeah is that yeah exactly that yes yeah, so it doesn't have to be a straight yes or no or like you have to sacrifice this but can we find things that that work better for you and at the same time reduce your footprint and and seven percent I promise you, once you break it down and look at it, it's really not that hard. So why did why did you pick 7%? Because I'm just thinking all the science is now telling us we need to halve emissions by 2030. So if we do 7% over the next seven years, I get there's, there's probably some compound percentage thing that means it doesn't. But would, but would that eventually get us to, to halving emissions by 2030? Is that why you picked it? Or is it just... No, true. Fast, we people? should probably update it to... <laughs> to eight or so or seven and a half and then we'll get to 50 percent reduction okay. by, yeah. by 2030 um so yeah i mean it, it obviously as more and more inaction happens the the percentage number increases because that that yeah, deadline yeah. of where we leave it the more every every yeah, yeah every day of inaction means that the day of action gets more and more severe but yeah i think i think that fear of like 50 percent by 2030 um that will be huge if mm. we don't act now uh, but what i want my message to be is if we start now it's not so bad because they said more much more doable yeah so much so achievable yeah yeah and it, it's um and there are things we can do just uh, those seven percent don't have to be seen in your eyes it's like a sacrifice or i've done mm. this or i've done that or it's cost me money to make that seven percent there are more than enough examples out there that can make your life better basically 
Yeah, those co-benefits, aren't they? And especially oh, yeah. we're talking about energy. You know, this applies to households, this applies to schools, hospitals, businesses, everybody. If you can cut your energy, you're saving money and you're cutting emissions. So, um, you know, can you cut 7% off your electricity bill for the next year? It's, 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 is it like literally when you're looking at a company's footprint, is it literally as basic as that? You'll go, how much energy are you using? How much electricity are you using? How much gas? How much water? How much you know, do you literally just break it down by like that? And so lots of, I'm just thinking if people are listening and they've either got their own business or they're working for somebody like, you know, where do you even start? It feels too overwhelming. Um, it is that simple for, for some businesses. So if you're like, a, if you sell your brain as a service, for example, like you're an accountant and you sell your skills uh, to people, it's as easy as that. You just need to work out the carbon footprint of your office to some extent. If you wanted to go the extra mile, you can do your website as well. But there's some really handy tools online that are for free that can do that. You should probably measure your business travel as well. Like how when you're on work time, how you get from A to B. But if you're an accountant, you might not need to. You might just go to work every day from home. And therefore Mm. your calculations become really, really easy because there's the work you do doesn't have much footprint. Um, However... It's not so easy and not such great news for most businesses. Because there's people might have heard of these like scopes that businesses yeah. measure in very simple terms because it makes me glaze over. <laughs> can you can you explain those like I'm three? I struggle. Uh, um, <laughs> so the way I currently sell it in terms of like trying to get buy in with people and trying to get more head nodding than glazing over. Yeah. Is. Um, your total footprint is split into three sections. Your scope mm-hmm. one, your scope so two. So this is for businesses, three. isn't it? Yeah, or, or personal, I suppose it can be applied to. Yeah. Um, and your scope one and two are things that you can directly fix by the end of this week. If I gave you a credit card which had unlimited funds and said, go ahead and fix it, you can fix it by the end of this week. So if we're looking at, Jen, yourself and your personal life, your scope one emissions and scope two would be the electricity in your house. Uh, and maybe you have like a, uh, your, your house is heated on natural gas or something, or you've got mm-hmm. an oil thing for an Argo, whatever it may be. Um, those two things would be in your scope one and two. And in theory, you could fix those without having to um, ask for permission from another company or encourage another company to fix things. I can give you a credit card and you can go online buy some solar panels and therefore your electricity for next year has all come from the renewable energy uh, source on your roof. Uh, and the same for for heating. We can just buy your way out of it. We can make your house super insulated for starters and then uh, look at some kind of renewable energy heating sources. However, obviously, it's not, I know it's not that easy because it comes at a cost, but that's how I look at your scope one and two. These are things you can just go ahead and fix yourself. And, and I, does, does it include um, like transport? So I could just go out and buy an electric car or, you know, decide that nobody's allowed a car anymore and everyone's got to cycle everywhere. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Scope three is everything else. So, for example, um, you still have to eat. Uh, you can go and email uh, Sainsbury's or whoever it may be to say, can you please make sure you reduce your carbon footprint of all your food? Because I still Mm. have to eat and I'm buying it on a weekly basis. Um, I can obviously buy better within Sainsbury's. I can get 
low carbon products, but I can't get it down to zero. Mm -hmm. And same for all of these different other things that you might do, such as we talked about who you bank with or other things you need to buy on a daily, daily basis. Um, You have to kind of, to get them to reduce their footprint, you have to kind of talk to them and encourage them. um, But it's out of your control. If they say, no, I'm, I'm not interested. Um, you still have to kind of eat at the end of the day and you mm. still have to buy from them. I'm a bit worried this is getting lost a bit on the personal side as opposed <laughs> to the business side, but, um, that, that process is, is very, very true. So as a business, when you're buying anything from your suppliers or the people that you work with, that is your scope three. If you're doing a business trip and you have to go to, uh, Sydney in Australia, you have to fly from A to B. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, you have to get there in person. Um, you can contact the airline and say, look, can you become zero emissions? Um, but there's some degree of it's it's their footprint. Mm. It's also your footprint. So there's an overlap, isn't there? Like some of your scope three emissions will be somebody else's scopes one and two and all those sorts of things. So it does get quite messy, doesn't it? Trying to work out... Um, what belongs to who but and there will be sort of double accounting to a certain extent absolutely so to kind of summarize I, I waffled on a bit there but your scope three emissions are all the things you can influence but not directly fix yourself oh see i haven't heard it explained that way i like it yeah you have to encourage others to which start reducing their footprint and you can do that obviously by buying with the companies who are already doing that or you can contact your existing supplier for that thing to ask them to start signing up and obviously they Mm. should be doing that action already um but it's kind of your footprint it's kind of someone else's Mm. uh, and the way to look at it is not just to think it's their problem but it's that word influence how can i influence them uh to be better and you might not have much influence on them so me taking on british airways for example (laughs) probably just go straight into the junk mail but i can try a little bit uh but better to try than do nothing because you can still yeah. have that potential influence if everyone's thinking like that and I think as an organization as well if you're thinking about an organization that you work for or a company that you know you're involved in thinking about that influence is hugely important because if you decide oh do you know what I've spoken listen to this podcast I've spoken to Charlie we're going to try and measure our carbon footprint and sometimes the organizations that you work with that you need information from won't have it because they haven't done that so actually you can say well I kind of need this from you guys so then that starts a conversation with them about oh crap maybe we need to start doing this as well and so it it does hopefully become a kind of positive spiral hopefully yeah yeah I re- in a dream world that's exactly <laughs> how it should work so a lot of the companies that we work with are travel companies and mm. so they're designing trips to let's say um to New Zealand uh and they got their customer Mr Smith Uh, And he wants to do a two week trip touring all of New Zealand. Uh, And so suddenly we've got 10 different hotels. We've got Mm. uh, skydiving on day three. We've got snorkeling on day four or whatever it may be. And then we've got car hire. We've got flights. All of those different things are with different companies and they all have a different carbon footprint. Uh, At the moment, that travel company who's put the trip together knows the cost of each one of them because they're mm. selling that trip to Mr. Smith. And so they need to work out how much margin they can charge and what's the overall price. But if they email each of those providers and says, what is the carbon footprint of each of those elements? Most of them won't come back to them because they'll just right. go, not got an idea. Yeah, uh, And obviously that's 
part of the dilemma at the moment is when so many companies don't know, it can be really, really tricky to start because it feels a little bit like banging your head against a wall. Yes. They're all kind of like just in the dark to some extent, trying to work out what it is and where we're at. But there are some really cool, innovative companies who are taking a lead on things at the moment. And it is becoming more and more normal to start understanding the carbon footprint of your item. And obviously, that will help Mr. Smith if he's not too fussed about the hotel on day four and he can be open-minded. We can find the hotel that has a smaller carbon footprint on day four, as opposed to what he originally was had on the itinerary. Uh, but it also then helps uh, Mr. Smith, perhaps on a yearly basis, think actually going back to that 7% figure, his holiday in this year was to New Zealand. It had a carbon footprint of this. Can we make sure his trip next year? Mm. Uh, because he always goes on holiday has a seven percent smaller carbon footprint and he does that year on year on year so that it's really interesting that travel companies are, are looking at this because it feels to me like travels and, and this is probably something very wrong in my head but I'm always like travel has a high footprint you know especially if with anything that involves flying yeah and so it feels to me like I don't know, is there a tendency amongst the travel industry to just sort of um, bury their head in the sand and, you know, sing a bit more loudly and pretend that that's not happening? I'm quite um, impressed that there are companies out there that are, are kind of doing this and making it accessible for their customers. I think um, it's a bit of a mixed bag. So on an, on an employee level, I'd say nine out of 10 employees are not that way inclined at all. Uh, they're really passionate about it. They get into the industry because they're passionate about the planet and seeing the wonders of the world. Um, and they want to make sure that um, the trips that they they make and put on for people don't hinder the planet and come mm. at the, and and have a have a, have a negative impact. Um, within the travel industry as a whole, I think there are certain companies that are leading the way more than others. Um, I would probably urge airlines to be doing much, much more than they are. And I'd probably go down the route that they are burying their heads in the sand and perhaps not sharing as much information as they could to make mm -hmm. themselves uh, or make their customers more aware of the size of their footprint uh, and what they're doing around it. But then on the other side of things, I think there are some great examples where companies are just saying, like, blimey, we are in a right pickle uh, so if you take the ski industry for example mm. classic example of like whether they want to or not they have to start taking climate action year on year the ski season is getting a little bit shorter than it was the previous year there will be some freak seasons where there's an amazing snowfall and it goes on for a week or two longer but on average our ski seasons are getting shorter and obviously that is bad for business they got mm. a smaller window for them to get more customers in um, and the unfortunate thing is that at the moment all of those ski industry businesses all have a footprint of some sort so they're all making it worse year on yes. year but they very much see the problem as slightly kind of bigger than themselves and whether they want to or not they've got to take action and there's a mixture of personal wants they love skiing themselves they want to make sure they've got a future in it yeah, themselves. yeah. Uh, but also kind of a, a moral obligation to do so for the very sake of their commercial interests because they don't want to see the season getting shorter and yeah. shorter as well. So the burying your head in the sand thing is uh, 
not the greatest uh, business advice. It might seem like it for year one because it might postpone any tricky decisions, but uh, long term. Well, that's the issue tell. we have with the government, isn't it? That like, you know, we've got net zero goals for 2050. So what that means is that these tricky decisions that they have to make in the short term are just getting kicked down the road, kicked down the road. And so then, as you say, the later we leave it, the more severe action is going to be. But our election cycle is not set up to um, foster long term thinking, particularly, is it? But hopefully, and I guess that's that's one of the roles of businesses is having that more long term vision and that more long term approach that they are doing things to make sure they are still in business by 2050 because the government aren't still going to be in government in 2050, the current government. Mm. And not even we don't know about next week at the moment. So, um, do you know, like, I guess that's that's we talk about individual action versus business action versus government action. Obviously, we need all three, but a really important role for businesses is to be pushing that faster than governments are willing to go, I think. Yes, absolutely. So the world is hopefully starting to decarbonize as it is. So as a company, you can just sit on your hands and say, well, actually, just because of the way the world's happening, there's more electric cars happening. So when I do a business trip uh, 10 years ago, if I did it tomorrow, it might have a smaller carbon footprint because cars are more fuel efficient when I go from A to B. Uh, but the world is not decarbonizing at nearly enough the quick, the speed we need it to. Uh, so actions need to come from businesses to step in and say, we need to supercharge this to some extent and that, that sounds extreme and it really doesn't have to be i'd come back to that seven percent that's all mm. we have to do at the moment or maybe eight percent sorry um and it's just the kind of um we need to start turning the intent into action as soon yes. as possible uh, because it just makes the decisions much easier they're less extreme um and it starts kind of getting the ball rolling uh, and the one thing we see that's really nice with with businesses is once that kind of ball does start rolling, it can be the first one or two steps are typically the hardest uh, because it can be a bit like shifting an oil tanker around. Yes. But once you start going, there's just like a natural curiosity of people and people start to connect the dots a bit more and they can see how their role within the business can have an influence on things. Mm. All these other things start to happen nicely and it does start to gather pace which is really really cool but it does need to start happening soon and, and i think there's a massive reason why businesses should take the lead on things and are you finding that you're pushing on an open door or are you still having to really make the case for this with businesses is is it something that feels like it's increasingly on people's agenda and and is something that they're starting to focus on or are you still having to kind of go out and say hello we've got a bit of a problem here no no um definitely uh there's been a shift in that uh so uh i used to really struggle uh in all honesty and it would be me in a room and maybe an offsetting company in, mm. in the room as well and it's me against them and my sell to a company is we're going to measure your footprint in loads of detail and we're going to come up with a plan of how to reduce it by um uh, seven or eight percent year on year uh, it's going to be quite time consuming certainly mm. when you compare it to this offsetting company uh, but actually the long-term results are going to be fantastic because you're going to be a business with hardly any footprint whereas the offsetting company is like bish bash bosh 30 <laughs> minutes on my website uh, will estimate your footprint in a really basic way uh, and then just get your credit card out and then you can be 
carbon neutral for the next year and it's done in 30 minutes. Can you just explain the difference? Because I know that these there's so many different terms that get bandied around and we hear the term carbon neutral and think, oh, that's amazing. Well done them. But there's mm. a big difference, isn't there, between carbon neutral and, say, net zero, which is the other term that we hear a lot. Can you just explain to people the difference between those? Sure. So to be carbon neutral, you have to work out your yearly carbon footprint or at least estimate it. Uh, and then you'd pay a offsetting company to um, cover the same amount of your footprint. So you have a footprint and you're paying someone else in the world not to have that footprint. And it kind of equals out to zero if you do some kind of creative mass on that. Net zero is taking on the challenge, the much harder challenge, which is to say, actually, what we need in the world is just to have no footprint in the first place. So year on year, I'm going to look at my footprint and reduce it by making changes to how I operate or the things that I buy. So that regardless of offsetting, my footprint will come down year on year on year. Now, the reason why it's called net zero rather than just zero is because uh, to get to zero might be impossible. Uh, and they don't want companies to kind of not sign up because they might see it as impossible. So the idea behind net zero is to say, I'm going to reduce my footprint by 90% by a certain date. So typically mm -hmm. you'd see the government saying, I think you said it was a 2050 net zero mm, UK date. government's 2050, yeah. If a business was doing the same thing, they'd be saying we're going to reduce our footprint by making changes internally to whatever it is that we do and what we sell so that we have a footprint that's 90% smaller uh, by the year 2050. Uh, and then just to be technical, they'll offset the remaining 10% that they find impossible to remove for whatever reason. Mm. So some things that might be impossible might be if I was to look at myself personally, I wouldn't know what I would eat if I wanted to have a zero footprint. Mm. Um, but there are other things in their lives that we can get to zero quite quickly. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's, that's the kind of rough definition. So going back to what I was saying earlier, um, there has been a shift there of companies who were once thinking carbon neutral is good enough. Uh, but actually, there has been a sh shift recently where people are starting to realize that uh, we can't just offset our way out of the problem. Mm. And we have to join this journey on net zero, which is looking at ourselves and saying, how can I, as a business, have a smaller and smaller footprint year on year? Uh, so rather wonderfully, there are more and more companies open to kind of starting to work out how they can do that, uh, which is really cool. And so can you give us some examples of organisations, and this isn't the BBC, so you can say name whoever you want to name, um, you know, who have, who have um, done some good stuff around this or are making really good progress or have really transparent carbon footprints on their, on their website that we can go and have a look at? Yeah, sure. So we've got um, Explore is the first one that comes to mind. Uh, so they sell trips all around the world. I think it's like 500 plus trips. Um, all different styles, different places, different lengths, different inclusions. Uh, but on their website now, they every single trip has a carbon footprint on it. And did you have to do the maths for that? Yeah, it was a lot of work. Um, us and them. Uh, so, so how do you, if you, like you were saying, oh, and then, you know, you'll go to this hotel and they'll be like, Meh? I don't know. Is there a kind of um, 
there, presumably there's some degree of estimating involved there but or like how do you do it if the companies that you're then dealing with don't have any information for you yeah so any carbon footprint you see anywhere in the world is never a hundred percent yeah uh so there's an element of estimating in every single one i think there needs to be better kind of best practice within the industry because that's one of the arguments isn't it that against carbon footprinting that there are lots of you know different ways and ways you can massage the figures and include this or not include that and so yours would look better than someone else's because you've done the maths a bit differently so um i guess for it to be as useful as possible there needs to be a um in the same way that we have like science-based targets for organizations looking Mm. to get to net zero and things that there's some kind of um standardized calculator or something that people have to put their put their things through because otherwise it feels a bit unfair yeah 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 and there, there are those things already uh but they're not bulletproof enough for my life okay. at the moment um and so that's what actually i get out of cop each year so year on year they are making the standards more and more hopefully bulletproof okay it is very very early days i would caveat that with but the standards are getting better year on year so when you see one company with the carbon footprint on it and you see another one with the carbon footprint on it we know that hopefully there is not so much kind of creative right accounting going on to kind of yeah. as say, massage the figures and what they're both including is exactly the same mm. in terms of how they've they've come up with that number so it becomes easier for the customer to make that better decision um but it is never going to get to the stage where any carbon footprint is a hundred percent we just yeah. need to make sure that every company is playing by the same rules so you, if you're designing a trip or that you're trying to work out the carbon footprint of a trip you you might have figures for a stay in a five-star hotel versus a stay in a three-star hotel versus a stay in a one-star or whatever and that will and you can kind of plug those numbers in as averages if you don't have the actual data exactly that yeah 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 so year one year uh it's my job uh, to make sure that the calculations get more and more accurate so as we say if you're using your example so maybe in year one we just say it's a four-star hotel maybe next year can I be like it's a four-star hotel with a jacuzzi on the roof um, mm. as opposed to not having a jacuzzi on the mm. roof, or, or those kind of things uh, and then put in a dream world we then also start to say well actually it's not just a general four-star hotel let's go and ask that particular company what is their carbon footprint mm. of hotel x because yes. uh, that will be much more accurate than an estimate in its place. And then that's when we can start to encourage that company to kind of compare Hotel X and Hotel Y and say, when we have a situation where we've got two very, very similar hotels, they've both got the infinity pool on the roof. They both cost the same amount of money. They both got the same average reviews on TripAdvisor. Mm which one has the smaller carbon footprint and let's go with that option which has the smaller footprint because when everything yeah. else is equal why wouldn't we yeah uh, it's an absolute no-brainer um so that's the that's what we kind of do with companies um but within that when we're looking at explores kind of 500 chips for example um they would be very honest to say like we don't have the answers of every single item yeah. for year one that's where we're trying to get to but to get the ball rolling and to get processes happening there have been some estimates that have gone into it just to say this is a four-star yeah, sure. in yeah. x country for example and what's the feedback been like for them from customers like is it something that 
customers are using and finding helpful or is it a bit like me they just look at it and go gonna have the burger anyway or you know I was gonna go on that trip anyway and um oh gosh I hadn't realized it was quite so much but do you know what it's a one-off or it's a well it's quite new um the honest truth is I don't really know um I, I would really hope it has kind of um started conversations and many mm. people think um their trips by design are going to have a, a relatively smaller footprint than perhaps the kind of the the normal of the yeah. industry um so i hope it has started people adding in the carbon footprint into their decision making process what i do know is that it has happened is is going back onto something we touched on earlier which is pride within the company employees to say how can i get the trips that i'm in charge of to have a smaller and smaller footprint yeah. year on year and it's always kind of ripple down effect onto those suppliers, onto those hotels, onto those activity providers, onto everyone who's involved in that process to think, how can I take control of my small part of that adventure to have a, make sure that I'm playing my part? Yeah, so it's hugely powerful, isn't it? I was talking about that, you know, the influence of, so there's, you know, a bigger company and it might have lots of smaller suppliers. And I guess the more times those smaller suppliers are being asked for this information by different companies that they that they're like, oh, yeah, we kind of need to need to do something about this and we need to to get on board with this. As somebody listening who, you know, doesn't have their own company, maybe doesn't work for a, I mean, it sounds expensive. If I was going to go to my boss and say, oh, have you thought about having, a car, you know, carbon footprint in the company? Um, most or most bosses are going to go how much does it cost like how do you sell it to people to organizations in terms of you know there's doing the right thing uh, which obviously we should all want to do and do this completely altruistically versus there's a cost of living crisis um you know the organization's being squeezed from left right and center and now you want me to do this well i think um there's a slight change in shift uh always forget the kind of analogies for it but like classically uh large companies uh would look at kind of is it csr where it's like yeah they spend, corporate social responsibility i think yeah, yeah they'd have like their kind of official charity partner mm, and yes. they spend, send x amounts of funds to that uh project year on year absolutely a fantastic thing and i'm not saying they shouldn't do that but uh, for me and the work that i do sustainability is about how you can um save money rather than spend money Mm. when everything you buy has a carbon footprint what we're really trying to do is look to see how your company can can still provide value for your customers that they leave five star reviews on your website but to be perfectly honest it's a bit like a cheapskate thing how can i spend less in the process of doing so yeah yeah. what things can i take out of my if we're talking about holiday the itinerary if we're talking about a physical item that you can have in your hand, like how can I spend less to get that item in their hand while still making sure they give me a five-star review? And actually that's how I see sustainability. It's like, how can we give more in terms of the experience, but actually do less to get there in the end? And so it's mm. all about how efficient your company is. And a great example of that is waste. What, what are you wasting time on? What are you wasting money on? What are you actually generally in terms of making waste in terms of bin waste is happening? Mm. All of those things have a degree of a carbon footprint and our work is trying to highlight those things or certainly the things that have the biggest uh, carbon footprint to start off with and say, look, we get rid of this or we change this 
it's a win-win-win for everyone. You no longer mm. have to worry about it. It's going to cost you less and the customers are still going to love it. So there's a, there's a really good financial argument for doing it. I think there's a really good employee engagement argument for doing it. There's a really good cynically PR perspective for, for doing it, isn't there? If you're a small organisation or even a sole trader or something, there are, um, I think the government has a website, doesn't they, that you can go on and you can, you know, put in your bills and things and it will help you work out the carbon equivalent for your electricity spend and things like that. So this isn't something that, you know, we need, obviously, the bigger you are, the the more complicated it gets. But this mm. is something that people can start to get a handle on if they're running their own small business and things. Remember. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think if you just Google uh, like business emissions calculator, something will come up. Mm, I'll try and find something to link. The government give out uh, some quite handy numbers uh, or, or DEFRA do. Uh, mm. So if you like spreadsheets, uh, they give out some handy spreadsheets on a yearly basis, which gets updated. Oh. And you'll be able to measure your footprint on that as well, really, really accurately, depending on your business, but for, for most SMEs in there. And then I'd also want to kind of um, want to highlight this case of like, progress over perfection yes. uh, so when you're kind of online doing it you'll think of well they haven't asked me about this or i think this thing has a footprint but i don't know what to find out the numbers for that or blah 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 blah, blah. and that's probably true uh, but i'd probably say that don't let that feeling stop you from starting yes oh i can't do x i can't i don't know this one so therefore i won't do any of it whereas actually you can still get a good ballpark figure yeah, yeah, yeah. So even when this is my full-time job and I've been doing it for years, my calculations are still not perfect. Mm. So I'm not uh, expecting someone who's just starting today, uh, who's only got a, a spare hour or two yes. and to look towards it to have accurate calculations or perfect calculations, I should probably say, either. Uh, the aim is just to say, this is the year one of doing it. Yeah. These are probably going to be the worst calculations I'm ever going to do <laughs> uh, because it's the first year. Um, but it's better to do something than do nothing. And even those quite basic calculations in year one will start to help the understandings. And if you're at an SME, your kind of entrepreneurial brain will start to see those potential areas where we can go actually that thing doesn't bring that much joy to my life or maybe the customer's life and we can maybe look to change that or or vice versa this is a potential issue um let's not focus our energy here because this doesn't have that bigger footprint and actually customers love it yeah uh, and just see it as a starting point um when it comes to that process and hopefully your kind of entrepreneurial flair will yes yeah, to come yeah. through yeah and so if, if people are listening and they're like, well, that's great. That sounds lovely, but I don't have a business and, um, you know, whatever. But what role can we play in making Carbon Footprint more information, more available, accessible? Because I, I don't know. I mean, I assume everybody's like me and wants to have this information. And I'm sure there are lots of people who haven't even thought about it. But if you are now thinking about it and thinking, well, that really annoys me that I haven't got the carbon footprint of that you know, on a pair of jeans when I'm buying them. How can we do anything about that? Yeah, um, and it's so simple. We just need to ask that question. Um, and you'll be amazed at the kind of ripple effect that question will have. Mm. Uh, so some of our clients that we have worked with and we now know their total footprint and we have a plan to reduce it year on year, all just started off with one customer asking that very question. Wow. And 
you'll be amazed at how few customers need to ask that question for it to kind of be uh, work its way up the kind of internal hierarchy mm. of that company. I'm sure it's different for certain companies, but just ask the question of what is the carbon footprint of this thing that I'm doing or what is your carbon action plan or anything like that. And you'll be amazed at how people talk internally with companies. They might be on their internal messaging system mm. saying, help, the customer just asked me this question. I've got no idea what to say. Yes. And then it goes on to the manager and they're like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> and then it kind of works its way up. And then the person we're asking in that sales team or that manager nine times out of 10 is they want to have a great answer to that question. And they start to think that actually we probably should have a great answer mm. to that question. And wouldn't it be cool if we had a good answer and then we can tell them about how our product is better than other products in the same field and why actually we, we have the answer. And actually it's a pretty good answer because actually it's something we're actively addressing compared to the rest of our competition. And some like really big organizations, it's now becoming a legal requirement for them to to report yes. on their carbon emissions and things, isn't it? So it might well be that just because I said jeans earlier, if you email Levi's or tweet them, they might be like, oh, actually, we've got that information for a pair of our jeans. And here it is. But it's just not on the label or, as you say, readily accessible. I think I heard somebody on Deborah Meaden's podcast from L'Oreal saying they've got all that information and it's on the website. Now, I went and looked on the website and couldn't find it. But <laughs> a lot of them, especially the really big organisations, might have it. Um, so I guess if we ask, then they're like, oh, people kind of want to know this stuff and we've got it. So maybe we ought to make it more easily available. But I think sometimes we underestimate, don't we? We think, well, what, you know, one little email, one little letter for me, what difference is that going to make? But interesting to hear you say that it can make a really big difference. I, I really believe so. I know it sounds like it probably wouldn't, but anecdotally, I know it really does. Uh, so I'd really encouraging it. It's obviously just a bit of a bore to kind of send off an email or get in touch with them. But when the opportunity arises, a live chat on a website or just a quick email do it it really has an impact uh, and i'd really encourage it i think using your l'oreal one as an example as well i think that's just going to be a mentality shift where people are like companies are kind of scared to talk about it mm. uh, because they're worried that people might see their shampoo has a carbon footprint yes. uh, which it absolutely does every single shampoo bottle or thing you buy yeah. From L'Oreal has a footprint, but same. And, and other brands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I see that as shifting at the moment. And people are kind of starting to realize that everything has a footprint. The same way every item has a price, they all have a footprint. Mm. Um, and I think there's a, a great kind of incentive at the moment for companies to take a lead and, and drive it in their particular sector to say, look, we're going to be the, the first or we're going to take the lead on here to make this more normal within our industry. Yeah, amazing. Oh, I could talk to you, but it is like, I know it's super geeky, but I do find it really, really interesting. Um, and I think it would be so helpful to help people make those more informed decisions. So where can people come and find you, Charlie, if they're interested in finding out more about what you do? Um, website would be a good place to start. Uh, it says ecollectivecarbon.com. Uh, my full name is Charlie Cotton on LinkedIn. Uh, or my email is charlie at ecollectivecarbon.com and always happy to chat to anyone. Amazing. And are you on any socials? Uh, you look really blank then. I think you're yeah. on Twitter. I'm sure I saw something from you on Twitter the other day. <laughs> the, the business is, is on Twitter. I'm not. I'm actually trying to cut them out of my life, to be honest. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Apart from LinkedIn, which I'm a same, shameless salesman on it. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, I am a little bit. Um, <laughs> but I, I am on them, uh, but I'm just trying to like get off them. No, I can, I can absolutely understand that. So, <laughs> first port of call will be the website or um, drop you an email if people want to chat to you. And I'll put all those links yeah. in the show notes for people. But um, yeah, absolutely super interesting. I found this really informative and I hope other people have uh, enjoyed it. I'm sure they would have done as well. But thank you so much for your time, Charlie. No worries. Well, thank you for having me on. It's really interesting. been listening to Sustainable-ish, you wonderful sack of loveliness, with me, Jen Gale. Hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old grey matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably. Do let me know what that is. I love to hear about the changes that people are making, big or small, every single one counts. If you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you have, do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time. Bye.